Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to That Christian Geeky Couple from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. And and uh, we're going to be talking about Supergirl and uh, Silver Surfer and uh, a few Doctor Who audio dramas later on in the show. But we get started off with Supergirl falling. And Supergirl is exposed to red kryptonite and the result is it turns her evil. Um, I wouldn't say so much evil as I'm with wish. Okay. So that's not evil? Not necessarily. Well, she was kind of getting towards megalomania. It did seem to get um, worse the longer she was exposed. Well, that's the thing. And, and I, I will say that one of the things that really did bother me was kind of the lack of um, logic. There's no wearing off concerns at times about sexism you know what I mean the way whether there was any inherent sexism buried into their assumptions of how Kara would react to the red kryptonite it's kind of hard to put my finger on exactly well part of the problem I think was that they were trying to create a dark side for uh, Kara but they didn't really have any material from the show itself to so she basically had to create this new character, which I guess could come off as a caricature rather than something that genuinely sees uh, seems like an outflow. But the technical part of it, I think, was a bit of a concern too, because what we learn in the course of the episode was that on the Supergirl world. Red Kryptonite was the effort by Maxwell Lord to engineer a duplicate of Kryptonite, put it near a uh, satellite, and hope that uh, Non stumbled on it. And of course, the reason he came up with the duplicate uh, was so that he could be the one who could come in and provide the antidote. It's kind of an interesting twist uh, for the character. And probably one of the more intriguing ideas here is that uh, really what we see in this episode is Supergirl acting like he's always been afraid that she's going to act. And she only does that because he created the uh, red kryptonite. There is certain um, irony in that that I found fun. And in the defense of this plot turn, it could be a good thing for them to basically build understanding between Max Lord and uh, Kara's team and they better appreciate his reservations about her. And he basically has the consideration of, well, the most danger she's put us in was my fault. Well, that might be. But still... It's essentially, 
I think they do a few plot things. They set uh, Siobhan up to become Silver Sable. Okay, the point is that when you're realizing that your efforts against this potential threat are only making her more of a threat, that could cause you to um, begin to rethink your tactics and that maybe you as this person of conscience and concern about her power would be more effective working with her than against her. Well, I understand that. And I'm just saying that it does kind of seem like a chief way to do a plot because they use this uh, really, the red kryptonite is a plot uh, device that they use to try and accomplish multiple things in what's a short season. Does he have a motive to have attempted to create the red kryptonite? He has a motive, it just doesn't make any sense. Let me go ahead and take this untested red kryptonite and put it out there and hope a kryptonian stumbles on it. Plus, on this world, you know, in the DC Universe, green kryptonite is so plentiful. You expect Max Lord to be perfect and to not make mistakes. I don't, it, it's just not a believable mistake. Also, with Max Lord, he's not always the most forthcoming and honest person. There may be more details to exactly what he was um, saying that um, would... Basically, this was the least embarrassing explanation he could come up with, even though it's kind of cheeky and dorky himself. You know what I'm saying? That he's coming forward because he's realized he's messed up and only made things worse. But his he may not be being forthcoming about what the heck he was doing with that up in the room. That very well may be. But as I said, they're using it basically to uh, check off a lot of plot points. Make the city not uh, like Kara as much. Get James to uh, back off. Uh, get Siobhan on the path to becoming the evil Silver Sable. The evil who? Silver Sable. Uh, that's going to be coming probably next oh, week. Oh, is she the... Was she a super villain in uh, the DC Universe? Yeah, and they basically ripped off Spider-Man 3 as she's going to become a supervillain and have the same origin as Eddie Brock did in Spider-Man. That's what I was trying to just think about. Is she, like, supposed to be female Eddie Brock? Yep. Yeah, this is a story uh, that rips off uh, Superman 3 and Spider-Man 3 uh, in order to tell this uh, story. I have a lot of mixed feelings about uh, what they did with Kara in this episode. Can I say something? Hey, if you're going to rip something off, make sure it was something that was really bad. Because when you rip off a good franchise, you're unlikely to get it to be equal to it, let alone to exceed it. But when you rip off, but when you set your measure low and you rip off, you know, B-rated material, then you have an opportunity to take this B plot and make it an A plot. And then in case your plot exceeds the original. And therefore you cannot be accused of ripping off this original, even though it actually did inspire your idea. And you can be even better. It's a real challenge for, as a writer. I, I can totally see where, you know, an 
a writer with writer's vlog looking for clients would go there. It'd be an interesting challenge. And if you actually pull it off, it would be phenomenal. Unfortunately, they didn't. At least not in my mind. Um, I think the big problem with the portrayal of Kara was it was just a, a straight opposite or uh, reverse. Um, and I, I, you know, for comparison, you know, in terms of red kryptonite plots, um, I think back to the Lois and Clark New Adventures of Superman, and I think it was from season one uh, or season two where he encountered Red K. Uh, Red K's effects uh, throughout the history of Superman tend to be uh, kind of unpredictable. And so in his encounter, Red K uh, made uh, Dean Kane Superman apathetic. And he actually went in and got analyzed, and it reflected a lot of how he was feeling of being underappreciated as Superman. Here they basically went with the idea what if you took if Kara took every negative thought she had, shared it, and acted upon it? Anything that just happened to at any time in her life passed through her mind, what would happen? And as anyone who is in touch with themselves will tell you, the results would be pretty awful. And I really, really just did not um, like that, the way that the episode played out. I, maybe that's partly why this feels a little sexist to me. Well, I think it was um, it was not very uh, nuanced. It, it, think back to last season. The Flash, of course, doesn't have red kryptonite, but he had something that affected his mind uh, during season one's meeting with uh, Arrow. Uh, that caused him to just totally uh, freak out and have an ego trip. Uh, reflect, and it was reflected by his own feelings of inferiority uh, about, about the Arrow. Uh, and that the Arrow was sitting there and judging him as a hero. So it tied into his actual um, emotions. Here it didn't. I will admit that there is... Um, uh, another reason that I find it, um, you know, unpleasant or difficult, and that there is a bit of uh, truth to the whole and idea. A question. So you're saying you don't quite buy that her, uh, the things she did in her dark side actually are things that are really actually based on her actual emotions. Right. It's essentially... Um, an idea might pop into your head. It might be related to why it feels sexist to me. Because it doesn't feel like um, things specific to Kara and to her as a person. It feels to me more like a generic list of things they think are hiding within women. Yeah, and... Even a re relatively good girl. So it's, that's why it feels like they're saying that That's, you know, obviously, given the feminist ideas of the whole series, that's, that is kind of an interesting interpretation, but I, I can see where you're going with that. I will say uh, that there is a bit of um, truth in the story. 
that makes it really um, uncomfortable. Uh, of course, I'm recording this on uh, Palm Sunday, and at the church I go to on Sunday, it's celebrated as Palm Passion Sunday. And you read through the entire, as a congregation, we read through the entire passion narrative from Luke. And you get, and the parts where the soldiers are beating Jesus and the people are shouting crucify, uh, we read that out loud. And you realize that the, a lot of these people who were actors, you know, at that, in the, uh, uh, crucifixion and shouting crucify were just, you know, regular average folks who really just went full out towards uh, evil. You know, people who had been, you know, some who had been shouting for him on Palm Sunday. And you see this, you know, great potentiality in human beings because we like to imagine the big, big villains are uh, where the evil comes from when the evil can often come just from within us. And if any of us really just engaged every thought that came into our heads, no matter how good we think we are, it would end up uh, a mess. And the idea that even somebody who is superb like Kara would have that, that's part of what makes it unpleasant. For example, I shouldn't make a snarky political uh, comeback that pops into my head in one of the things you said. There you go. But that's just the red kryptonite, Andrea. Um, no, if it was the red kryptonite, I would have actually said it. There you go. That said, the effect of the episode, was, it was unpleasant and it was... Uh, Joyless, even if it had uh, an element of truth in it. Dramatic of a change of tone. Yeah, it was just it was just too much, and not really any sort of hope. It was dark. It was depressing. And there was another thing that didn't make sense because Kara has been this great danger to all mankind, and she's captured by the DEO, and once. Uh, Maxwell Lord's uh, uh, antidote is uh, administered. She walks out free as a bird, while uh, John Johns, who has uh, outed himself as Martian Manhunter, is left in prison, even though he's the one who saved the day. I left it really confused on that point. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. I didn't understand why they would jail him simply for being the Martian Manhunter, or why he doesn't understand the concept of a secret identity. Well, he understood the concept of the secret identity. Then why didn't he do a Superman number and discreetly leave to change? It w there wasn't time, and I don't think he had that sort of Superman speed. Superman always had time. Okay, he didn't in this case, because the writers... I mean, the idea that they let her walk out free after she's done this, assuming that Maxwell Lord's antidote is going to work, it just doesn't make sense, particularly when they're getting nervous about aliens and they are holding uh, John Jones uh, incommunicado. I don't, again, I don't understand why she's out of jail, why he's in jail. I think it would be, make more sense the other way around. I mean, I mean, why? And also, there seems to be. They also asked him weird questions. Why would they? Because of, you know, he just shifted, changed, transformed into a superhero. Assume that he's not really Hank Henshaw. 
Well, because he's a Martian. It's a different... Do they... But why would they assume that he's not... Be, uh, the why Martian Manhunter doesn't look unique, uh, human at all. Okay, he looks like an alien because he's an alien. I mean, what is it? Is it like, okay, you may have been a threat to an entire major city, but you're a blonde, so we're going to let you go. Uh, it's just kind of, it's inexplicable. Uh, overall, I didn't like the tone. Uh, there were a lot of logical problems with the plot. Uh, there were some interesting uh, performances as Kara made a mess of her life and everybody uh, uh, near it. Overall, I will give this a four capes out of ten. You liked anything besides the acting? Uh, like I said, there is some truth in the plot and some lesson that can be uh, garnered from it about what would happen if we all just said what was on our minds. You know there are people who actually do that. Yes, they're all on Twitter. And some of them are running for president. <clears throat> all right, so you're ready. I didn't name names. Mm -hmm. All right, you're ready. Let's see. When you thought the parts of the episode were kind of sexist, what's the highest rating you should give it in your opinion? Nice, yeah. Well, you're asking me as a man to tell you how you should rate sexist content as a woman. Um, Are you feeling entrapped? Yes, I am. Okay. Hmm. I think I'll end up going with like a five, because there were some pretty negative elements to it, but it also might have some good plot developments down the road. Alright, well with that we turn from Supergirl to Supergirl and Adventures of Supergirl number four. Uh, Wynn is arrested by the Metropolis PD and tells Kara not to investigate. And so Kara responds by investigating. And it all leads to an evil alien hacker. I have to say, I almost wondered if that was intentional reverse psychology. They told her not to investigate because he wanted her to investigate. They knew she would do the opposite of what he said. Well, maybe it's... Or maybe he was just dumb. <laughs> that could be as well. Um, it, it did develop an interesting plot behind what this computer uh, uh, virus slash hacker was supposed to be and led up to a pretty solid conclusion and a reveal. I will say it does suffer a bit because uh, the idea of this alien hacker uh, uh, releasing information on people was something that was covered actually in the last episode of Supergirl, uh, the uh, episode 15, Solitude. Uh, so this is kind of rehashing old ground. Still, for what it is, it's a it's a, got a nice hook and uh, an interesting beginning. I uh, I did uh, enjoy it, and I enjoyed the artwork better. There was a lot less uh, senseless uh, recapping than we had in the first three issues. Better than the first three issues. So overall, uh, I think it's a, a fair start. I will give it six capes out of ten. Well, I didn't even bother to rate the 
first two. It was that bad. Um, four. Okay, so moving right along to Silver Surfer number two. And uh, we once again do see a lot of the uh, Time Lord slash Doctor Who influence uh, on the Silver Surfer series by Dan Slott. And uh, basically, it starts out with uh, Silver Surfer not being happy at the idea of having to stay on Earth until Don's uh, nephew or niece is born. And so she shows him some of the very unique things about uh, Earth. He thinks he knows everything about Earth. And he ta she takes her to these very little corners of her town, of her world and uh, universe. And it's a fascinating scene because it sets up what's to come in the story. Because the Silver Surfer realizes that someone is coming with technology from Zen Law. With the goal of basically transforming Earth into Zen Law. And they have uh, recruited and brainwashed a herald for their effort. And that herald is none other than Ben Grimm, formerly of the Fantastic Four. Boo! Why are you booing? I just didn't like that. Well, I don't... He's a hero in the Fantastic Four. He's not some brainwashed hero for some nut. Ben Grimm turning evil is all practically a... Uh, or being hypnotized in some way to do something evil is practically a standard feature of Marvel Comics lore. It's dumb and prejudiced. You think it's brickish? They only do that because he looks like a blockhead. Well, that may Rock, be. You know, his appearance. That may be, but it is what it is as a trope, and it does lead to an interesting uh, confrontation. It's, I mean, it's much more interesting when they just let the character who looks like a monster not be a monster. Making a character who looks like a monster, act like a monster, is just boo! Well, I have, I'm a big fan of Ben Grimm, and I prefer him in heroic mode, and I am certainly will see that by the end of the story, which will be in issue three. There was also some pretty... That is true. When he gets snaps out of this, he will snap out of it. So he's going to clobber the person who did that to him. Yeah, we had somebody else use its clobbering time with Silver Surfer, which was uh, unique. I love that line. It's clobbering time. Um, honey, honey, you have to try and say that line in the Silver Surfer's voice. It's clobbering time. It's clobbering time. Do you see how funny and how not working your no Ben Grimm that would be? Yeah, I can see the point. Um, you also do get some... Uh, I mean, if anybody had heard him, they, they would have to have said, don't ever do that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I suppose that is true. Um, I also have to say, um, there are some interesting interactions between uh, the Silver Surfer, Dawn, and Alicia Masters, who was actually one of the very first humans that the Silver Surfer ever met. And Don did not have a good reaction to Alicia, 
because he's been friends with Alicia for uh, decades. And uh, there's even some hints of some almost Rose Tyler-ish uh, jealousy of uh, Alicia. So which one was being Rose Tyler? Um, Dawn. Dawn was being like Rose Tyler in being jealous of Alicia. Who was Rose Tyler jealous of? She was jealous of Sarah Jane Smith. She was in season two, or series two of Doctor Who, she was jealous of Madame de Pompadour. She was jealous in pretty much any um, woman who the Doctor paid any attention to. We need to have a special where they bring back both Rose and, um, um, you know, his wife. River Song? Yes, River Song. And one of the, one of the doctors. I mean, it could be one that Rose knew, I guess, just to make it all the more perfect. And just put them together and watch the fireworks explode. You can email inquiries at bigfinish.com for that suggestion. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. How I, would that go? Not if well. If we put uh, Rose, the, doc, uh, the doctor, especially wrote one of Rose's doctors in the same room with River Song. Well, the bright side for... Who would win? Well, River Song, I think. Uh, the bright side, though, for Rose is she ended up happily ever off with uh, the Hand Doctor and in a pocket dimension where there is no River Song. So I don't know how you would make that work. Anyway, back to Silver Surfer Issue 2. It was a great issue. Uh, it did a little bit of retconning on Zen Law. And I think, once again, they're, they're inspired a bit by the Time Lords in terms of showing a negative side to what had always been portrayed as kind of a very serene, um, uh, almost uh, Tibetan-type race. I like how uh, there was some foreshadowing of what would be the central conflict in the early scenes with Don showing the surfer around. And the fight scene with Ben Grimm was good as well, with a great uh, reveal, which really leaves me eager to read issue three. So overall, I'll give the Silver Surfer nine boards out of ten for issue two. Out of ten, I guess. Okay. Uh, that said, we move along to... Uh, a couple of just my reviews, and uh, we'll be talking about the Captain Marvel book, Alice Volat Propris, which is a title that was specifically written to give me a tongue twister when I tried to read it. Um, uh, there may have been another reason for it, but actually no story is titled that. Um... It's one of those trades that Marvel does that really can just make you cynical about comic book trades. Usually, uh, comics are written for the trades uh, so that you can buy a six-issue trade uh, paperback and get an idea of what's happening. But this is one of those. It contains four issues of Captain Marvel. Issues 12 through 15 of their... Um, 
of the series that came just before the Civil War event. And uh, it you get uh, a two-part story, uh, and then you get issue 14, which is a part of an 11-part crossover event, and then you get a standalone one-shot where she says goodbye to a friend, and a story that does have some touching moments to it. This is not all bad, but it's one of those books that's just really uh, makes you cynical about the whole idea of reading things in the trades. Because the thing is, I don't want to read uh, this issue as a tie-in to this um, uh, whole uh, event. This was part 11 of a 15, of a, I think about a 15-part story. And I don't want to read part 11 of a 15-part story. You know, that type of issue ideally should only go in the trade for, the, uh, for that particular plot arc. If they didn't include it, we'd be down to a three-part story. So overall, this wasn't bad. Uh, kind of a disappointing uh, end, though, for uh, Kelly uh, uh, DeConnick's run on uh, Captain Marvel, at least in the main title. We'll take a look at Captain Marvel and the uh, uh, Carol Corps uh, later on. But this book will get a five uh, captains out of ten. Moving on to uh, Big Finish audio drama reviews, and I'll talk about Doctor Who, The War Doctor, Infernal Devices. Uh, John Hurt continues to star as the War Doctor for Big Finish, and the latest release, uh, Infernal Devices, focuses on the sort of uh, really scary, dangerous weapons that the Time Lords introduced in the midst of the Time War. Uh, some dealing with experiments in life extension and bringing people back from the dead so that you could have soldiers who were fighting wars and fighting the time wars and then when they were killed, they were immediately brought back ad infinitum. So you could have uh, warriors who would just be keep getting killed and coming back and just keep fighting the Daleks. However, there are problems with this uh, plan and both the first part, uh, there are three episodes in this uh, miniseries, both the first and third uh, dealt around these issues. The, the last part is really the most satisfying, as we're taken to a, uh, a to the Neverwin, which was a Time Lord experiment in which warriors are uh, fighting, but the technology is constantly changing. And so they're going from modern weapons to futuristic weapons to fighting with uh, Stone Age weapons, uh, depending on how the waves of the Neverwind go. And they've been trapped there for hundreds of years as Cardinal Alistra plots to use this to help them win the Time War. This is a great story, and you, you do begin to see a lot of the regrets in this uh, box set. Because uh, the War Doctor is very harshly judged by the 11th Doctor and the 10th uh, on their initial meeting. And there's a great sense of self-loathing and self-hatred from what he did in the Time War. But a lot of the media around the Time War, you don't have a sense of what he did which actually merited that sense of self-loathing but you really start to capture it in this box set. 
I will say that the second set is real. The second part of the th three-part story is really dull, but the first and third parts are superb. John Hurt does a fantastic job as the Doctor, and so I will give this seven war tortoises out of ten. Next up is Jago and Lightfoot series nine. Now, for the uninitiated, Jago and Lightfoot were two characters that appeared in the classic Doctor Who story, The Talons of Wang Shiang, with Henry Gordon Jago, a theater uh, impresario and owner, and uh, Professor George Lightfoot, a respected pathologist. They only appeared, I think, in one or two episodes of uh, Talons of Wang Shiang together, but the characters were always uh, very popular. And so Big Finish ran a single release as kind of a pilot for a Jago and Lightfoot series with the Mahogany Murders. Since then, they've been fighting evil and have actually encountered the Sixth Doctor, as well as doing guest spots with the Fourth and Sixth Doctor in their own ranges. Uh, after some very traumatic events in Series 8, Jago and Lightfoot decide to go on a cruise. However, with their luck, it's, it's far from being a normal cruise. As they begin encountering versions of them from alternate dimensions. Dimensions where London is controlled by the French, or by uh, Prussians, or by Russians. Now, this may seem like an, ax, uh, an opportunity for stars uh, uh, to do silly accents, but that's exactly what it is. But there's a little bit more mystery and atmosphere. Then their boat takes them to Monte Carlo, where they stumble onto a deadly dark casino in a very cleverly uh, done plot with David Warner. Then they end up landing on an island with a great mystery, and then back on the boat, where they confront the evil behind it all. Uh, Jago and Lightfoot is a great series if you've never listened to it. Uh, they've got the first two series on Audible, and even though they're a bit darker than uh, some of the newer releases, I still recommend them. Uh, this is uh, great atmosphere, great acting, some good humor, particularly in the final part. And this uh, whole series, uh, Series 9, it's not the greatest one they've done, but it is uh, infinitely entertaining for all four hours. I'll give it a solid 8 Red Taverns out of 10. And finally, we have Doctor Who, The Early Adventures, The Bounty of Sears, or Ceres. And this involves the Doctor, Vicky, and Stephen landing on a space station in orbit of Ceres. The story has some interesting moments and some feeling of mystery, but there is a lot of backstory and information uh, formative dialogue use that really slows down the production. And neither the guest characters or the plot is really anything to write home about. In many ways, it reminded me of the 10th Doctor Christmas special, uh, Voyage of the Damned, just not quite with as much glitz or style to it. Overall, it's not bad, but not all that good either. So I'll give the Bounty of Ceres 5 Tardises out of 10. All right, well, that will actually do it for now. Join us back here for our next episode where we'll once again be talking about Supergirl and all the other crazy things we read and listen to. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam. And I'm Jordan. Signing off. Hey, guys.
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.